Morning, church. God's wonderful people. I hope you're glad to be here. It is uh, wonderful to be here, and God's church is a wonderful church. And uh, we've got visitors here today. If you're looking for a church home, we want you to choose us. And uh, if you have trouble doing that, then we'll give you something free if you stay. <clears throat> We're preaching on the meaning of church membership, what it means to be a member of the Lord's church. And we've bought a book for everybody out in the foyer in the back left corner. We've got one for every family unit. We distributed about 160 last week. And so if you didn't get one last week, we want you to have one. We want you to read through this. It's your book. You get to keep it. You can mark it up. You can dog ear it like I have mine. There are pledges for you to sign at the end of each chapter. Nobody's going to ask you if you did that. That's it's your book. You do what you want. You sign it if you want. But we want you to discuss this with husband, wife, discuss this with your family, discuss it with children, because we think it's important. Now, why are we talking about church membership? A couple of reasons. Number one, we want our church to be a healthy church, and we want to have healthy church members, and this will help you be a better Christ follower. Number two... Our society doesn't value church membership the way it used to. In fact, let me read you some statistics that I got just this week. The informal definition of an active church member a decade ago was a member who attended worship services an average three or four times a month. Now a member can be present only two times a month and be considered active. In fact, in the same article by Tom Rainier, who wrote this book, he said, Pew Research found that the number of Americans who say they have no religious affiliation, just in case you're wondering, they're called the nuns. What's your religious affiliation? And they check, none. So that group's called the nuns. That's increased from 15% of the population to 20% from 2007 to 2012 in just five years. That's a huge shift. One out of every five persons will likely never be in your church services, and they no longer feel a cultural compulsion to be here. Twenty percent of our culture, twenty percent of our community, twenty percent of, of America feels no urge, no need, no obligation to be associated with church. But it's not just people outside the church. How much church people, church-going people, based on the statistics, how little church people value being a member of the church has distinctively dropped. You know, what's the big deal about being a church member? And that's what we're wanting to talk about is the importance of being a church member. How can we reach a community for Jesus when we place so little emphasis on being at church ourselves? I'm not talking about a church member as somebody who attends. I'm not saying a church member is somebody who puts money in the plate. There's more to being a church member to being in the body of Christ than showing up and giving money. So we're looking at what does it mean to be a church member? What does it mean to be a member in the body of Christ? So let me talk to you today about contracts. We're going to talk about agreements today. <clears throat> we all know the value of contracts. We like contracts. We like contracts when they're in our favor. So we buy extended warranty contracts because if something goes wrong, we want it to be in our favor. But what happens when you enter a contractual agreement 
and it goes wrong on the other side. We feel like we've been cheated. We feel like we've been wrong. You didn't hold up your end of the agreement. So you book a vacation and you go on that vacation and the motel isn't what you thought it was or the cruise isn't what you thought it was. What do you do when you say when you have a contractual agreement and that side of the agreement doesn't follow through? What happens when you uh, when, when you go to order food and you enter a contractual agreement, a verbal agreement, because you order the food and you enter an agreement that you're going to pay for the food. But what if the food comes out and it's not what you wanted it to be? They didn't hold up their end of the agreement. They didn't hold up their end of the bargain. When it serves in our favor, we love contracts. Until we don't agree to the contract. When we don't make our house payment and we might get foreclosed. When we don't make our vehicle payment and they might repo that. When we don't make our utility payments and they turn off the water or the cable. We're like, hey, what's up with that? Well, what's up with that is we didn't honor our side of the agreement, contractual agreements. In fact, I brought one today. Let's put this one up on the screen. I brought my marriage license today. So here's my marriage license. 30, almost 32 years ago, I entered into a, not just a contractual agreement, not just a binding agreement. What we're going to talk about today is I entered a covenant Agreement with Kelly 32 years ago. So you see my name up there. Everybody says, hey, what's the J stand for? James Ritchie. Now you know. Okay. Um, I was 23. Kelly was 20. You see down here at the bottom, I want you to see because it's cool. Donald Ivanham. That's my dad. My dad did our wedding ceremony. So when we stood before my dad, when we stood, a lot of y'all said the same thing. You know what happens when we enter into a marriage agreement? Richie, do you take Kelly to be your lawful wedded wife? And do you promise? And there's words like for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. And then you do the ring and you exchange the rings. And I pledge with this ring, I pledge to you. I, I, I pledge to you all of my worldly goods and I pledge to you my love. We say all of those contractual covenant word agreements. And then my dad said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And he let us kiss and it was in front of my dad. So he's very short. <clears throat> and for 32 years, I've been in covenant agreement with Kelly. You can lose that for now. Thanks. I got a copy of it anyway. So now, <clears throat> can you imagine if the last 32 years in my covenant agreement with Kelly, if I came home once a week? What kind of marriage would that be? Can you imagine if the last 32 years in our covenant agreement, Kelly said, you know, I just, I don't feel like coming home as often. I might be there three days a week. What kind of marriage would that be? Can you imagine if in that covenant agreement, one of us decided to start sleeping around and having sex with someone else? What kind of covenant agreement would that be? In fact, I use the words often when I perform wedding ceremonies. This is not a casual commitment. This is not a convenient commitment. This is a covenant commitment that you're making with one another. In fact, the Bible talks about our covenant relationship with God. And we read in James chapter 4 some pretty strong terminology when James says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Breaking your marriage vow with God. 
When you're friends with the world, you commit spiritual adultery in your covenant relationship with God. So I need to talk to you about covenant relationship because maybe nobody ever has. Maybe you don't understand covenant relationship. Maybe you're the kind of person that thinks, you know, I can come and go to church. It's no big deal. But it is a big deal when we talk about covenant relationship. You can't sleep around in a marriage covenant relationship, and you can't sleep around with God in a spiritual covenant relationship. In fact, no other agreements that we have today, all of the other contracts that I may talk about, they're contracts and they're binding, but they're not covenant relationship like we read about in the Bible. The only thing that comes close to that is the marriage relationship. It's kind of like we talked about last week. A lot of people just want to cohabitate with God. I don't want to be in any kind of covenant relationship. I don't want any binding agreement. I just want to come and go to church the way I feel like. What's the big deal? I throw a few dollars in the plate. What's the big deal about church membership anyway? And a lot of the world feels that way. A lot of Christians feel that way. So let's talk about covenant. James Garlow in his book, The Covenant, says, the word covenant in its Hebrew form appears 300 times in The New Testament, in the Bible. I'm sorry, in the Bible. The word covenant means to cut. You cut a covenant. You don't make a covenant in the Bible. You cut a covenant, mainly because you cut an animal. And you separate that animal. And you walk between that animal. And you walk through the blood of that animal. You cut a covenant. It was perhaps the most powerful binding agreement between two parties that you'll read about in the Bible. In fact, the covenant relationship was so strong, you weren't released from that covenant. You didn't get out of that covenant relationship until you died, which is where we get marriage vows, till death do us part, if the preacher used that in your wedding. The covenant relationship was between two people. So there was a lot of agreements we talk about in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, if you swear an oath, if you take a pledge by, by, by the church building or by your head or by the gold on the altar. And some people say, well, I had my fingers crossed. You didn't cross your fingers in covenant relationship. You died before you broke covenant relationship. It was that powerful. And it was so powerful that of all the arrangements, of all the agreements that God to describe the relationship that he wanted to have with us, he said, I'm going to pick covenant. I want to cut a covenant. I want it to be so binding and so important. So let me tell you what happened in covenant relationship, but let me read to you about a covenant relationship in Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. There's a lot of covenants in the Bible. 
There's the Davidic covenant. There's Abraham's covenant. There's Adam and Eve's covenant. There's Adam's covenant. There's a new covenant. There's about seven covenants in the Bible. But the covenant with Abraham is the one that I want to talk about today. And I just want to talk about covenant relationships. So, God's when God cuts a covenant, it's God saying, this is the kind of relationship I want to have with you. And God says, it's binding from my part. No human has ever kept his side of the agreement. No human has ever fulfilled his side of the agreement. But God said, I want you to know, when I cut a covenant with you, it is forevermore. Amen. Now, God comes to Abraham and he says, look, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave all your stuff. I'm going to give you a new land and I'm going to give you a new nation. And I'm going to give you and I'm going to give you and I'm going to give you. And Abraham says, what, what do you mean? God says, I want to be in covenant with you. And Abraham says, no, wait a minute, God. When you say covenant, when you join in covenant, that means your stuff is my stuff and my stuff is your stuff. And God says, exactly. Abraham says, you want to enter an agreement with me where your stuff is my stuff? God says, absolutely. And they cut a covenant. Now, there were several things that had to happen to cut a covenant. So let me just kind of blow through them real quickly. You can read James Garlow's book, The Covenant. But in order for there to be a covenant process, it had to be done publicly. You had to have witnesses. It was usually out in an open field or in the city area. There had to be witnesses. There was an exchange of robes. You take my robe, I take your robe. There was an exchange of belts, which signified strength. There was an exchange of weapons. There was a sacrifice of an animal, and the animal had to be cut, thus a blood covenant. There was the walk of death where once you separated that animal and that animal's bleeding, you're walking with the person that you're making a covenant with. You're walking through that split animal, through the blood of that covenant. There was the mark placed on the body. They would cut their wrist or cut their hands, and then they would shake on it so that they also had a blood covenant in and of itself. There was a pronouncement of blessings and curses. There was a covenant meal, and you didn't just eat for yourself. You ate and you fed the other person. Kind of like we do in weddings, where the bride and groom will intertwine and feed each other cake in a covenant meal kind of symbolic thing. There was the exchange of names, and so Abraham's name was changed to Abraham. Now, when you think about the covenant, think about the marriage covenant. Go forward, fast forward to the new covenant in the New Testament. We are robed with Christ. We put on Jesus Christ. We're clothed with Christ. There is a pledge where we pledge to God and God pledges to us. God says, I'm going to give you all my stuff and I want you to give me all your stuff. We'll come back to that. There was the exchange of weapons. And so we read in the New Testament that we put on the full armor of God. We have access to all of God's stuff. And God says, I'm going to give you the full armor. There's the sacrifice. And Jesus was cut on the cross. And Jesus bled on the cross. And then that makes it a blood covenant. There's the walk of death. Not that you walk through Jesus, so to speak. Not that you walk through the animal. But you walk through the waters of baptism. 
And you identify because there's an identity thing with covenants. And you're buried with Jesus in baptism. And you walk in newness of life. And you contact that blood of Jesus. There's no blood in this baptistry. It's just water. But it's symbolic of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. There's the mark that's placed on the body. And so we read in the New Testament that we have circumcision of the heart. There is the blessings which we love. We love all the blessings of heaven. Where does the curse come in? Jesus was cursed for hanging on the cross. And He became a curse for us. There's the covenant meal, the Lord's Supper that we partake of each week. There's the exchange of names. We now become Christ followers. We now become Christians. We enter a covenant relationship with God. And check this out. When two people enter the covenant, like I said, they exchange stuff. So when Kelly and I got married, I pledged all my worldly goods. So Kelly, here's my nothing And Kelly said, here's all my worldly goods and I got her nothing. We understand the exchange and we like that. And we understand that we enter a covenant relationship with God. We get all his stuff. But what stuff do we have that we can give to a God who has everything, who created everything? We can give our love. We can give our loyalty. We can give our commitment. Paul says in Romans 12 that we become living sacrifices. I don't have anything else to give to God except me. And God says, that's what I want when we cut this covenant. God wants you and God wants me in covenant relationship. So here's what happens when we become Christians. I don't know if you ever looked at it this way. So whether you go to church here or whether you go to church somewhere else, you you need to understand what it means to be a church member. But when, when you obey Christ, when you cut that covenant, you take an oath. There's a lot of people I've encountered in church that say, hey, I'm not signing anything. I don't get that. We sign stuff all over the world. We sign stuff to get a car. We sign stuff to get a house. We sign credit card stuff. We sign, we sign, hey, I'm not signing anything at church. Well, you may not literally sign something, but you take an oath. We talked about this last week in 1 Peter 3. Baptism is not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge, the oath, the covenant of a good conscience toward God. Being a Christ follower is more than just showing up at church. Being a Christ follower is more than just attendance. Being a Christ follower is more than just putting money in the plate. Being a Christ follower is cutting a covenant with God. To be in relationship with Him. And what's God is what's God's is ours. And what's ours is God's. God, I give you my body. I give you my life. I give you my money. I give you my time. I give you everything. You might be thinking, why well, I, I didn't sign up for that. I just want the blessing stuff. I want the heaven. I want the eternity. I'd like some good health every so often. I just want the good stuff. I didn't know anything about this other stuff. But we enter into an agreement with God. Listen, folks. Church membership may not be a big deal to you. But it's such a big deal to God. That it wasn't an animal sacrifice. It was His Son's sacrifice. And His Son was cut. 
And God said, I love you so much, I want to cut this covenant with you, and I'm willing for my son to die. It's not a casual commitment. It's not a convenient commitment. It's a covenant relationship with God that we should enter and be in every day that we live. We can't take it lightly. We can't come and go as we please. It's a covenant relationship. Last week after um, <clears throat> this first lesson, Janelle Gibson showed me something. She, Tom brought me up. Let's put this up. This is the writing from H.T. Clapp. That is Janelle Gibson's grandpa. That's right. I think this is from 1901. What kind of a church would my church be if every church member was like me? What kind of church will we be if everybody is a church member like you and me? If everybody's a church member like you, do you think we'd ever have a shortage of teachers? If everybody's a church member like you, would we ever have to worry about communion being prepared on Sunday? If everybody was a church member like you, do you think we'd ever have any mission trips? Would we need a mission program? Would we need any kind of outreach? If everybody was a church member like you and me, would we need a youth program? Would we need a children's program? If everybody were a church member like me, what kind of church would we be? We are the church that we are because of the value you do or don't place on being a member of the Lord's church. You say, well, I'm busy. My kids are busy. We were talking the other day in staff meeting. You know, when I was growing up, there weren't activities on Sunday. There weren't activities on Wednesday. It was just kind of taken for granted in communities that folks went to church. You can't take those things for granted anymore. And because of that, we get so busy that we sometimes lose sight of being in covenant with God. I'm not interested in your attendance, per se. I'm not interested in your money, per se. I'm interested in your relationship with God and the value you place on that covenant relationship. In fact, we talked about some things this last week. <clears throat> Let me flip back. Being a church member is more than just community. You can get community going to Rotary. You can get community going to a gym. It's more than just connecting because you connect on Facebook in more ways and hours that you need to. But we connect in social media because we want to be connected to people. It's not community, although that is a benefit. It's not connecting, although we do that. It's covenant. You can't get what you get in the church anywhere else. You can't get the benefits of the covenant relationship with God anywhere else. We have a common love. We have a common denominator. We are in Jesus common. And you can't get that anywhere else. I know we search for love and we search for belonging and we search for a lot of things in Rotary, in gyms, in Facebook, on Twitter because we want to connect. But folks, we are... We cut a covenant with God. And that's why church membership, that's why being a member of the church, of the church of the Lord's body. Some people say, well, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. That's like saying, Richie, I love you, I don't like your wife. Because the church is the bride of Christ. And when you sign on for Jesus, you sign on to His family. 
It's one of the blessings. It's part of the covenant. It's part of the deal. So here's what I want you to do. When you look at your church commitment, you decide. You get to decide. You can say on a scale from 1 to 10, you can decide in your involvement. You can decide in your attendance. You can decide in your money. You can decide in your participation. You decide. Lord, is my relationship with you a casual commitment? Is it a convenient commitment? Or if I sold out to you in a covenant relationship, that's what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. And that's what makes it important. So we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ today for you to be in covenant relationship. It's not just baptism. It's not joining the church. It's being in covenant with God. Again, we love all the stuff we get from God. And God says, I want all the stuff from you. That's what it means to be in covenant relationship. So the invitation of Jesus is for you to give Him your life, for you to give Him your time, for you to give Him your talent, for you to give Him your treasure. God, everything that's mine is yours, which it is anyway. But He can't make us follow Him. We choose. Will you choose to be in covenant relationship with God? Will you choose to cut that covenant with God? We'll baptize you today. We'll baptize you in the name of Jesus. We'll baptize you so that you become a Christ follower. We'll baptize you so that you identify all the blessings that come with that. Because that's what we have in common is Jesus Christ. If you need to meet with our shepherds, they will pray for you in the back or in a private room. If you need to respond in a public way, please do so as we stand and sing.